there's something really honoring in that I get to sit with people, whether it's in a coaching setting or in a therapy setting, and really pull up the hood and go under and hear the secret thoughts and the fears and the things that they're embarrassed to say. And there was something about that that felt so special to me. And doing it with people who struggle with anxiety felt really exciting to me because I feel really comfortable with people who are anxious. I know a lot of people feel anxious about people who are anxious. There's something about that that feels really sweet to me. And I always think of anxiety as we you've got so much good going on already. We just have to turn down the volume. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Worked Up, the podcast where you learn how to write your own success story. I'm Jacqueline Beck, your host, and I am here today with a friend, a support system, somebody who has held my hand through the last two years, Megan Eakin. Hi, Megan. Hi. How so are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Just in general. It is, right? Yeah. It's good just to chat. It's good. Let's do it. Megan and I were joking how this conversation is a long time in the making mm-hmm. because Megan was the very first friend that I made in coaching school. It's so true. I totally remember that first email. I was like, I'm going to be friends with this girl. Woman. Well, just... Uh, Yes. Thank you. (laughs) So to put it in perspective, we met in what's equivalent to a supervision or a mentor coaching class where we had to coach each other in front of other people. And it was the first time either of us have ever coached. And I ended up being the person who was getting coached and got a little vulnerable about being a new mom at the time and building a business. And Megan, with all of her empathy and emotional intelligence and wisdom, reached out to me to connect after. And we have been great friends since. Yeah. It's been, I mean, we've talked about this before, but it's absolutely one of the gold nuggets from learning to be a coach is you and some of our other fellow coach mates that have come out of this. It's just, it's really special. Something I didn't expect, which I guess is a lesson in and of itself, right? Yeah. I'm always interested in how people find each other in general, right? Like how in a crew of 60 people, how how do I find the people that I naturally connect to? And then you find out why, because there's just so much in common, but you didn't know that. You just are drawn to the person. Tell me more about that. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's a great mystery. I think it's interesting. We've had the experience in that program where we were developing a relationship, a friendship, um, a colleagueship, if that's a word. And then we realized, oh, you're talking to the same people that I'm talking to, that we didn't know we're all connected. And it's like this very mysterious thing. It's the, it's attraction on some level. And Law of attraction. It kind of is. And I think that happens in friendship. I really do. It's really beautiful if you think about it. There's a Kabbalistic concept mm-hmm. that boils down to like attracts like. Yeah. And it is funny to think that we met each other, we independently met a few other people, and now we've all kind of come together with our fun little crew. Yeah. But it was very organic. It really was. Yeah. And whatever fate brought us together, I'm grateful for it. So by way of background, Megan is a therapist. She's an executive coach. She is a mom. She does workshops. She does intensives. And she specializes in anxiety, which is something I am no stranger to. So it's (laughs) going to be a really great conversation today. So thank you for being here. I'm excited. So I want to start with your specialty. Yeah. Let's do it. What about anxiety? What about it? Every time I tell someone, um, sometimes I'll just say I'm an anxiety coach just to kind of cut through it all and just say that's what I work with. And 
almost every time I say that to someone random, they say, oh, that is so needed right now. And I'm always so curious, like, who are you thinking of when you say that? Like, are you thinking about yourself? Or are you thinking about yeah. your kid? Are you thinking about the your direct report? <laughs> yeah, your boss, your direct report. Like, there's always someone in their in your mind. Um, yourself. But yeah, your spouse, yourself. I mean, it's your dog. It's um, it's sort of the topic of the age. I think ever since we hit 2020, it became uh, it became something that became really. It's always been there, but it's in our collective consciousness now. And in a good way, we're talking about it. And what I love to do is do something about it. So mm -hmm. that's that's why I do it, is that we don't have to stay in that same place. So we get to do something about it. What about anxiety drew you to working in that realm? You know, it's interesting. I was a therapist for about a decade before I became a coach. And... I always would tell people, I don't, I've never sought to specialize in anxiety, but that's who showed up at my doorstep. And there is something, there's something really honoring in that I get to sit with people, whether it's in a coaching setting or in a therapy setting, and really pull up the hood and go under and hear the secret thoughts and the fears and the things that they're embarrassed to say. And there was something about that that felt so special to me. And doing it with people who struggle with anxiety felt really exciting to me because I feel really comfortable with people who are anxious. I know a lot of people feel anxious about people who are anxious. There's something about that that feels really sweet to me. And I always think of anxiety as we you've got so much good going on already. We just have to turn down the volume. And I think it's more fun and more easy to turn down the volume than turn up the volume, which is depression. So I don't work with depression, <laughs> right? It's like that there are people that do that and thank God for those therapists and those coaches. But I am not someone who typically works with depression because turning up the volume on life is a lot harder for me. So that's kind of my example. That's kind of my reason for how it showed up. It just sort of fits me and I love doing it. I love working with turning down the volume versus turning up the volume. Very non-clinical explanation. There's so much in what you just said. One, your people finding you makes so much sense to me mm -hmm. because I know a therapist who once told me that and it's so true. It's so true. Because in a way... Everybody who finds me for coaching in some way has a shared experience with me mm -hmm. that allows me to relate and empathize and really understand what they're going through. Yeah. And it's kind of like what we were saying before about friendships. There's almost like a faith yeah. aspect to it. Yes, totally. It's almost comforting too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's yep. some bigger plan out there maybe. Yeah, I think I'm always my best coach and best therapist when I have connected with that person and their humanity and really get them. Even if I even if my symptomology doesn't show up in the exact same way, I can really allow myself to connect to what their experience is and a lot of times it happens like you said where well, it's true oh, no I've walked there before. Yeah. Isn't that true of anything? Yeah. You you have your best friendships, you have your best relationships, your best partnerships when you just look at each other for who they are uh -huh. and as a human. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So there's yeah. a beautiful metaphor in that in and of itself. And mm -hmm. I'm so intrigued and triggered, I don't know the right word, for you <laughs> saying that you you are comfortable in anxiety. Uh -huh. I I joke tongue in cheek that I'm comfortable in chaos. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it about anxiety that allows you to feel some element of comfort in it? Well, and let me be clear. I'm comfortable with, with other people's anxiety, right? Got it. So okay. if, yeah, I'm not comfortable <laughs> in my own anxiety. I would like that to go away immediately, which right, that's what, that's what we all have to work on. But yeah, as the, as the 
in the position of helping, I I can sort of hold the ship and watch and know that even if we're rocking a lot, that um, I know that there's a way through the storm and I'm really comfortable kind of in the fear and in the anxiety of the moment with another person. Um, that's not something that scares me. And that actually helps the other person. I have so many clients that say, oh my gosh, the fact that you're not freaked out right now makes me feel better, right? It goes back to, you know, the secure base. You know, the, the baby looks at the mom and if she's scared, the baby knows I need to be scared. So I like being that for people. Which is leadership. Absolutely. The, the oh, absolutely. Form. Yeah. What a beautiful Absolutely. tie right there. Mm-hmm. And that metaphor in and of itself made me think of what you just said about turning the volume down. Because yeah. you come in when the ship is really rocky. You come in when the seas are really rough. And by the time you're done, things are calm. So let's talk Yeah, and that. let's go. Can we go on that metaphor a little bit more? Please I, do it. Because I might be helping you in the coaching session calm down and regulate just by talking with me might feel good. Um, but if that's all I'm doing, I'm not doing my job because my job is actually to teach you how to sail the boat through the ocean, right? Like this, I mean, we couldn't have planned that, that metaphor even, couldn't have planned that website. metaphor better. Yeah. This should be in all your marketing materials. <laughs> right, right. Um, which is perfect. I grew up, uh, grew up near the water on the East coast. I mean, it is, it is, I want to help people feel better in the moment and feel seen and feel heard and feel known. And that is absolutely a part of my job. And also I'm with you an hour a week or every other week for a contract amount of time, mainly in my coaching. So the goal is to give you the tools and the skills. And what's so awesome and exciting about specifically anxiety is that there are skills, there are tools, uh, there are ways to navigate it in a way that you get to do it by yourself and build the muscle. So yeah, I teach you to sail. Let's talk about turning down the volume and the how. Let's do it. Yeah. A lot of people who I know personally, a lot of people who I work with, have either communicated to me or I don't think it would be so far off, struggle with anxious moments, Yeah, right? Absolutely. I tend to work with a lot of people who see themselves as overachievers or reforming overachievers. Yeah. And so I'm curious, how can you turn down the volume? Mm -hmm. So if I can take a step back before I answer that question. I think part of when you say high achievers, a lot of those people aren't associating high achieving with anxiety. So I would consider high, you know, now we call it high functioning anxiety or high achieving anxiety. I would say part of the process is uncovering what you're doing that keeps you from feeling what you would say is anxiety. So for example, if you are pressured to overwork and stay late over and over and over again, and then there's a moment where you have to leave work on time because you have a DMV appointment. I mean, something as, as whatever it is, like you have something and you have to leave, but you're not staying late. You're not kind of over-functioning in that way that you have been, you'll feel anxious about that. You'll feel anxious walking past your boss's office, even if your boss said, totally fine, you have to go, I get it. You'll feel anxious when you've removed the over-functioning. So what happens is so many people have their behaviors in place to cover up the intense anxiety that they feel when they're not over-functioning. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Can you give yeah. some examples? And you can use me as a case study because <laughs> I know you've called me out on this in the past. 
But for someone who's on autopilot and doesn't even realize they're doing this or doesn't even realize they're in over-functioning mode, Mm -hmm. what can that look like? It can look like a lot of different things. I mean, one of the classic ones that gets talked about a lot is people-pleasing. That one uh, can work in an over-functioning setting, but basically you don't have boundaries. You're saying yes to everything when internally you wish that you could say no. And then the resentments come out with the people you're closest to. So if you're angry with your partner a lot, um, but you're smiling and saying yes to your boss all the time, like that might be a sign that you're over-functioning and trying to ward off feelings of anxiety, which by the way, a feeling of anxiety isn't even the end of the story. Anxiety is still a symptom that points to a deeper primary emotion. So we can talk about that later, but um, we sort of have this over-functioning happening and that's trying to stop you from feeling anxious. And then we have this deeper thing that's driving that anxiety. But uh, perfection is another example. Um, Making sure something is exactly right. And you're smiling because I am thinking of you. (laughs) Um, How many drafts of things, right? Like what are the, when is it done? When is it good? Or when can I go to bed, right? Can I stop working at 11 PM? Is that, is that sufficient for my, and And it is different. I mean, we can talk about this from going, and I'd be actually interested to hear from you, the anxiety shift or the high functioning shift when you're working for someone else to working for yourself. Because I think that I've experienced that. I I experienced the different sense of pressure when I have a boss versus I'm on my own and I'm building my own thing. Um, which I'm doing with my coaching business. My therapy practice is sort of, you know, humming in the background and it's been going for a while, but I'm building a coaching practice. And so, I don't know. I Can you, can I ask you a question? Is that allowed? Of course you can. I'm so curious. Have you felt the shift? Without a doubt. Yeah. And I think there's so much wisdom even in the question you asking it mm-hmm. because part of my biggest challenge going from working in a very corporate, very structured, very stratified organization Mm -hmm. to working for myself with no colleagues Mm -hmm. and no structure unless I create it was this idea that there is no taskmaster. Yeah. And it was very apparent to me, and I know we joke and we laugh and you've called me out quite a few times how habitual so much of what I did was in terms Mm -hmm. of working late, needing things done immediately, expecting things to move, 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 Mm -hmm. expecting that timelines would be really short. And I think part of that is still intrinsic to me. I think that's part of that is me. I think I'm partial to action in general. Yep. And I think a lot of it was learned behavior because I was in this really corporate structure and this really corporate context. And I was so used to it that it was almost like my body had to to shed it, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I'm much better with it. You'll be very pleased to know. I don't have a million drafts. I'm (laughs) actually much better. I remember I was toiling over what to name my company. And finally, I just said, F it. I'm going to go with Jacqueline Beck Consulting. Yep. I remember that day. Uh-huh. I'm doing it. Yep. And I, it still ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. Like last night, I worked till 1130 because mm-hmm. I was on a roll and I had this burst of inspiration yeah. and I couldn't stop. Yeah. And then sometimes I look at the clock at 430 and I'm like, you know what? There's nothing that has to be done right now. Yeah. I'm going to go spend time with my son. Yeah. That is such a perfect example of one of the contrary actions to anxiety is flexibility and balance. When I see someone start to contextualize a moment, right? It doesn't automatically mean anxiety if you're working till 1130 at night. It doesn't. You could be in a flow state, super creative. You could be someone who works better at night. I am not one of those people, but but it could just be you're you're in it. And then though, that doesn't mean that I have to do that all day, every day, that there's other moments where I flex and I actually give myself permission to not be productive, but to do things that are meaningful. 
Well, part of the I did it yesterday. I mean, I'm thinking this is so practical. I teach this and I um, coach people on this and I, I have to remind myself to take care of myself. And I went for a walk in the middle of the day yesterday and found myself thinking, oh, this feels luxurious to go for a walk for 30 minutes and call my dad. And I thought, no, wait, but this is actually connecting to two things that I really value, which is taking care of my body and connecting with a family member. And how awesome in my productivity that I got to do two of those things at once. I mean, that just feels really good to take a walk and talk to my dad. But that is an anti-anxiety moment. That is a, I don't have to constantly go, go, go. I can flex and trust that this is okay. And that's what I hear. Like when you say I'm getting better at it, I hear you saying like, I'm trusting myself more as a boss to myself and to my own company. I'm trusting myself that that, like, this is okay. Does that feel right? Yeah. I think that's a good perspective. I mean, it's so hard, right? It's so hard. It's so hard because how do you then prevent yourself? We made pizza with my son last night, mm-hmm. right? Present, prevent yourself from checking your email because you see it pinging mm-hmm. or yep. thinking about what you have to do. Yep. So it's layers and layers and layers. Yes. Yes. Um, and for you to go back to the turn down the volume metaphor, I would say because you're someone who can stay really engaged right? When you're engaged in a project or engaged with your work, it's not hard for you to ramp up. Like you have to ramp down. And so I would actually like say putting your phone in a different room is like an exercise for people, right? Like I, if it's not pinging or if it's like, I'm not expecting a call, right? Then I can put it away. And that's my cue that I don't have to do it all at once. I'm actually choosing to like, those are those little things of like turning down the volume. I'm actually creating meaning in this moment by saying this pizza, this is now, I want to be present here. And it's okay if you have to say that. I mean, I think people think I should feel that naturally. And I think that's a really high task in the world that we live in where we're so interconnected, where you can get, you know, a hilarious meme from a friend at the same time you're getting a contract, you know, over email. And it's just, it's okay if you say, no, wait, this is, we're doing this. This is, and I, I'll do that explicitly with parenting. This is mommy and Brady time. Like we're, we're spending this together. And I'm saying that to him, but I'm saying that to me. I'm creating the space. Good reminder. So I want to get one of those lock boxes that you see on QVC to like lock my phone away for two hours a night. Yep. And by the by the way, I also worked to 1130 last night because I had to take my son to the doctor and right. then subsequently feel very old because the nurses didn't know who Maggie Simpson yep. was. Yep. Perfect. But yep. Lo, lo and behold, this whole concept of it takes work to yeah. be calm is somewhat counterintuitive mm-hmm. because on the one hand, I hear you saying it's a flow state. It's peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I hear you saying you might need to put a little elbow grease in mm-hmm. to actually be present, which again, seems so much somewhat contrary. Right. If it's, yeah. if it's supposed to be peaceful, then why don't I feel it automatically? It's interesting because one of the things that I would say that I work with people mostly on is defining their pain cycle and then their peace cycle. And that's terminology taken from the restoration coaching model and therapy model that I use. And you're asking the exact right question, which is, what does it look like to be peaceful in a moment where I'm feeling pain? I would argue that in that moment, if you're feeling competing interests, like being present with my son and also making sure I receive that email in a timely manner and respond, I would actually call that a pain moment, like a mini stressful experience where you feel on some level, and this is where we go from anxiety to like more of that primary feeling, some measure of I'm fearing a lack of love or safety here that's causing me to be divided. Mm. And one of the things that I do with my clients is we define the pain cycle and then we define the peace cycle and then a bridge to get from pain to peace in the moment. So it's, it's not to say that um, peace doesn't ever happen naturally. 
One of the things that I do with my clients is to work connecting to their peace cycle. Like, when are you naturally good? When are you naturally your best self? And then we figure out in those little mini stress moments, how do you connect to her? Um, Because you've lost her in that moment. Does that make any sense? Yes. I think it would be very helpful to understand a little bit more about this pain cycle and peace cycle, if you can share that. Absolutely. Yeah. So basically, foundationally, as humans, we're kind of organized to look for basic survival. And I categorize those in two different buckets. We're basically, in any situation, looking to know that we're loved on some level and that we're safe. Love and safe. And that shows up. Love is sort of this more identity forming piece, like who am I as a person? And safety is more about trusting I'm okay in an atmosphere. So it's not who I am, but like how I am with you or how I am in this grocery store when the lights who flicker. I am and how I am. Exactly. How I am in a in a conference room full of other executives, like how am I with this boss or how I am with uh, my mother-in-law or whoever it is, is that's, that's the safety piece. And basically whenever we're off, meaning pain or stress, one of those two, and there's layers, there's like, I could spend an hour talking to you about what does love mean? It shows up in three basic categories, right? Acceptance, belonging, value, uniqueness, one of those buckets is getting hit or, and can happen at the same time or safety. And so what I do with a pain cycle is we figure out, Hey, you have one of these things hitting you in a moment that doesn't feel good. Some unloved message or some unsafety message, and you can articulate it in your own way. So some people would say, Oh, I feel really insecure or I feel really unappreciated in my work environment. And I know that's hitting some unloved category when I hear unappreciated, or if they're saying I feel really like unstable, right? Or really um, not sure about my ability. I don't feel good enough. That's a safety message. And we define that for each person. Like who, who, what is the word that's happening for you in that moment? And then we characterize what you do out of that. So we get really clear on the message that you get. And then what do you do when that's happening for you? And that's where all of that language of performance comes in or avoidance or controlling. I micromanage my team when I start to feel unsure about the outcome. I mean, that's an example that happens a lot. I get really people-pleasy and really nice and syrupy when I have to give negative feedback because I feel unsafe with the relationship with my direct report. So it's what you're feeling and then what what you're doing. And then we prove to you how it's so inefficient and ineffective because we, sh- we talk about the results. So it's a cycle, right? So if I give someone um, unclear feedback and I mostly talk about how great they are, but I'm not open and honest with them about their performance, I always say, well, then what's the result of that? And they say, well, they don't get better. And then how does that make you feel? I feel more unsupported. I feel more alone. And so then, okay, we have a cycle happening. And it's so fun to have people externalize their pain cycle because they'll have one at work and it's very similar to the one at home. It's just slight variations or slight intensity differences. Anger looks a little different in the business world than it does at home, but it's still anger. It's just more irritability or avoidance versus outright criticism. But it's really cool to have people have this externalized pattern that they can say, oh yeah, there I am. I'm doing, I'm doing anxiety by being really perfect. And then we create a peace cycle, which is when you're loved and when you know you're safe, who are you? And what's great is we're not, we're not going to find that. We're resurrecting or we're just taking a catalog of who you've already been. And that is who you are when you know you're good enough. Who are you when you know you're worthy? And sometimes we have to access that a little bit. Sometimes we have to do it as a faith move. Like, okay, if you believed you were good enough, who would you be? And some stronger, wiser self work in there, which I do with people to sort of step into their good enoughness. 
and out of that, I mean, it's so cool to, to watch people connect to their best version of themselves and then bring that into a painful moment. And we practice it in sessions. Like, okay, well, who could, who could you be in that moment? Or what could you say? And they're literally their voice changes, how their posture, it, it just shifts. And they say, oh, I actually could be a more assertive leader and still be kind. I could say, I really appreciate your work. And also we got to, I got to talk to you about this. It's not working. Can we find solutions? And it's like, it almost feels like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that I could be that type of person. And it does take practice, but they literally, I mean, I named my coaching business, your grown up voice, because that's what I kept finding when people are stepping into their peace cycle in stressful moments. It's like, oh yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm being the grown up that I want to be. What I love about this concept of a cycle is that it externalizes it and it makes it not you. Yes, absolutely. You're able to look at it objectively. You're able to look at it outside of you and recognize it because, you know, having gone through therapy myself, having worked on myself for a long time, sometimes that's hard to do. Yes. And visualizing this as a cycle is really powerful. I'm curious, you gave some examples of a pain cycle. Could you give some examples of a peace cycle? Absolutely. A colleague that we both know and love, we were doing a coaching session together and he was talking about having a frustrating moment with his boss, a boss in the past, a story from the past where um, she was just not listening to him and she wanted to kind of command and control the situation and felt very, he felt very you know, his wings were clipped. He couldn't do what he wanted to do and felt like he wasn't being heard. And what he did is he walked out of the meeting silently, quietly, went back to his office and started having thoughts of, uh, this isn't worth it. I'm not valued here. Like this isn't, and we sort of caught the pain cycle, right? Like you were getting a message of not being valued. And what did you do with it? You withdrew. And in that moment, I said, well, wait, hold on. Do you believe that you're, you bring something valuable to the table? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And this wasn't an arrogance. Like this wasn't a like, oh, she doesn't know. any. it was more of a like, no way. I know why she hired me or I know what I bring and it is unique. And I said, okay, if you if you're sure of that, if you feel connected to that part of you that knows you're valuable, what would that free you to do? And it was like a click. It was literally like a switch that just flipped. He said, oh, I could walk back into that office and say, hey, I, I value where you're at. And I know you have things you're thinking of that I'm not thinking of. But here's, here's what I want to make sure I get to say. Here's what I want to offer. And it was like literally another moment where his voice changes. And he could picture and see, oh, yeah, I can live out of that. And it's not because we're guaranteed that this is going to go well, right? It's not any guarantee of like, oh, then she listens to me and it's all rainbows after that. But that's not the point. The point is you're just going to live into your best self and the chips will fall as they will, but you still get to make decisions out of that. That story has always lived with me because I, you could just see the difference in the reaction. And it's so subtle, right? It's not like this ground making, he has to go to, you know, a desert Island and journal for 20 days to come back. It's a very simple, a very simple recognition of like, wait, I get the message that I'm not valued, but wait, if I actually engage my own voice in this, say, wait, no, I am valued. I know it. And that value isn't something for her to know. It's for me to know. Yeah. Because if you know it, then you're living out of it versus I need to prove it that I'm valuable. Like that's where people get tricked up. It's like, oh no, they don't see that I'm valuable. It's like, no, you you need to know you're valuable. And if you act out of your value, that changes that changes into a peace cycle. Well, it's very grounding. It's and absolutely it's, the word. It's interesting because uh, I know a very wise woman who says that anxiety lives here yeah. and to counter anxiety, you must ground. Yes. Oh, absolutely. That's exactly what you're saying sounds like to me. Yeah. And the skill, I would say like the learning to sail part of it is how do I do that more and more efficiently? Sometimes even so efficiently that I can do it in the moment where it's happening, 
where I can start to recognize, oh, my instinct is with to, to withdraw, but wait, hold on. I'm, I'm okay. I'm valuable. I say I'm valuable. So what choice can I make here? My instinct, my survival wants to go up, oh, get away. But my, my, my truer self says, I can, I can be real here. I can take a step towards. And then that's someone who struggles with avoidance, the controller, right? That would be someone who actually needs to turn the volume up, like to move towards. But for someone who is more um, control oriented or anger oriented, part of it is actually giving yourself a beat to slow down and to maybe listen to the other person and say, okay, let me make sure I've got this right. Let me, let me make sure I'm valuing what you're saying. Huh? You have some ideas. So I love that you just said that for so many reasons. And going back to our conversation about fate, I just wrote a blog article about, of all things, Daniel Tiger. Love Daniel Tiger. Oh my gosh. If Daniel Tiger was a coach, right? Like He is my coach. (laughs) Daniel Tiger is the modern answer to Mr. Rogers. Absolutely. It's basically a cartoon animated tiger for those of you who don't have kids or aren't around kids or don't babysit and are not subjective to constant children's TV. Mm -hmm. And he has this one saying, and it's a jingle and I'm going to butcher it, especially because I'm a little sick, but he goes, when you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. So good. And it's so good. I used it with my son this morning. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, this is so applicable for adults. Absolutely. Everything Daniel Tiger says is so applicable for adults. And what you just said is for someone whose gut reaction is control or anger or jumping toward, mm-hmm. taking a pause and taking mm-hmm. that breath and counting to four is how they can come into their grown-up voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think slowing down for those of you who out there listening, who recognize like, oh, I'm the person who's got the volume up too high. Right. And I need to turn down. I think the, one of the best things that I have clients do right away is slow. It's just slow because those of us who struggle with anxiety tend to move very quickly and we can move very quickly into action or into inaction, right? I could move into avoidance and pick up my phone and get on social media. And that that's, that's an anxiety response too. I can get into zone out mode, but either way, slowing down gives your brain a beat. I mean, truly that's what it is. It gives yourself a beat. And that's why noticing it, even in that moment, right? Like you're teaching your son to even notice his anger, which is incredible because when you notice something, then I can do something about it. So it's noticing it and then slowing. And then you're just giving your amygdala a beat to calm. And then you're giving like just the opportunity for your prefrontal cortex, your adult brain to say, is that the choice I want to make or do I want to make a different choice? Do I want to not jump to conclusions about that weird look my employee gave me? Do I want to, worst case scenario, this flight I have to get on? Do I want, is that helpful for me? One of my clients said to me today, she's like, you said this, a, whatever, a year ago, and it stuck with me. And I use it all the time too. Is this thought helpful? Is this mm. thought helpful? And when we slow down, that's when you get to ask that question. That's when you get to say, wait, is me thinking about the plane crashing? Is that a helpful thought for me? And inevitably, your, your, your grown-up brain is going to say, not so helpful. Not so helpful. Is it helpful for me to worst-case scenario um, so, any situation? Not what about typically. the people yeah. who are committed? to the fact that worrying and overanalyzing and going through scenarios helps them to mitigate risk. 
What about those people who are committed to it? I would be really curious about what it's costing them. Peace. Yeah. Because you could say, those types of people will say, um, but I caught this one thing once. Right? I was ready for this one thing once. And I'd say, that's, that's great. And it may have cost you like five years of your life. And what we're trying to, they're working on so hard is to that, mostly that safety category. They're trying so hard to make what's uncertain, certain. And that could take up your whole life. I mean, that really, this is like the, this gets to the heart of why I care so much about helping people who are anxious is I see them missing their life. I, I really do. Life is safer than they realize. And it's not to say that life is perfectly safe. It's not. I mean, the last six months have taught us anything about the world. Like we don't, there's a lot of, there's a lack of safety. We don't have to pretend that the world or driving in a car is a hundred percent safe, but we have to decide how we're going to live. And I always come back to the three things. I did not come up with this, but I have been taught this and I, I think of it all the time when it comes to anxiety. When it comes to the unsafe world, we have three things to help us feel safer. One is empowerment. Like, what choices can I make? I can't fly the plane, but I can wear the seatbelt on the plane, right? I can't um, know what my boss's decisions are for layoffs, but I can do what's in my scope to do my job as well as I can within the boundaries of health. The other thing is I'm not alone in this world. This is what we don't talk about as much, but not being alone is primary for us. So I'm empowered, but I'm also not alone. So even if I lost my job, I'd challenge us to think about who would be there for me? Who would be there for me? to get me through that moment. And people think of people. They say, oh, actually, I have this I have this grandparent who I could call. And it's not even for money, it's for support. It's for that emotional connection of like you you're going to be where you're going to be there for me through this. So not being alone helps us feel more safe. And then the third thing is just sort of a, an added one which is like hard experiences help us grow. And sometimes we need meaning for hard experiences and unsafe experiences. And so if I can look at that and say, this was hard, but man, I grew. And that helps my mind. That helps my, the psychic brain in me that says, oh, this feels good. Like I, I just like building muscle doesn't feel good in the moment, but I feel stronger now. So those are these three categories in terms of safety. So that person who says, I'm committed to this, I'd say, I'd say, um, how's that working? Where's, where's your joy? I have and are chills. you sure this is, 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 are you sure this is how you want to spend your time? Cause you don't have all the time. And typically one of the things like, so for that particular person, if I could go off of that one more thing, say one more thing about it, they're really in the empowered category. They're like, oh, I'm empowered. I have power to analyze all day. And I would challenge them to actually jump into the next bucket, which is your not, your not alone category. Who are you not relying on in your life? Who are, like, what systems or groups or teams or people are you not availing yourself to that's making it such that you have to stay in the all empowered state all the time? I have chills. I think everything that you just said resonates so much with me. And it's such an elegant way of framing mm. so much of this conversation. Mm. And I love these three buckets, empowerment, you're not alone, and hard experiences help us grow. Because I would also imagine that somebody who's stuck in empowerment thinks they're alone. And yes. thinks they can't rely on anybody. Absolutely. Or refuses 
to rely on anybody. Absolutely. And is attached to that refusal or rejection in some way. Absolutely. And almost avoidant of wanting to grow. Yeah, that's that feels um, like an accessory growth. There's no time for growth. I have to survive. It's purely yes. survival. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it feels like, oh, that's for other people. They get to ex- enjoy growth and um, expanding. But I, I'm, I'm trying to get through this day and I, yeah. I, or I, this quarter, and I only have the only thing, the only one I can really rely on and trust is me. So let's bring this all together, right? You have this over-functioning state where someone is either attached to perfectionism or overworking or avoiding people-pleasing. Yep. Once you can kind of move yourself out of that state, you're able to pinpoint what you like to refer to as your pain and your peace cycles Mm -hmm. to really understand your discomforts your triggers yeah. and your reactions, and then be able to move that into a doing and an active finding, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. of peace. Yes. So yes. that you can find your grown up voice. I'm yeah. adding your shameless marketing plug there. Thank you. And that ultimately it comes down to asking yourself a few key questions in a moment of anxiety. Mm. that really hit on those three buckets we just talked about. Empowerment, what is actually in my control. Mm -hmm. You're not alone. Who can I rely on? Mm -hmm. Who is there to support me? And that hard experiences help me grow. Yeah. I would just add one thing. Yeah. Yeah, I would add one. That addresses the safety category. The love category is separate. So that's where if I'm people making decisions about out of their identity. Mm. So this happens a lot with people who are people pleasing. They're doing it because they don't want to be seen as a not nice person. This happens a lot. I see it a lot with women. I know it happens with men. I tend to work more with women across therapy and coaching. And I see a lot of women abandoning themselves because they're not allowed to be someone who says no to something, to a project, to uh, a request to pick up someone else's kid. I mean, it can be the most granular thing, but their identity has been established in that they are um, a team player and they're, they're nice and they can be relied on. And they're a good person and that straps them. It, it's, it, it handcuffs them to actually finding their identity in that. And so it, it's not the same questions that you would ask in terms of empowerment and not alone. It's more of a question of who am I at the end of the day when I'm not performing for somebody? And who's, am I valuable? Am I worthy? I've never asked myself those questions. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Never explored it. Never, 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 not once. Don't know what you're talking about. Um, Megan, I can't believe how long we've already been chatting, but I do want to. Yeah, we've been talking a while. It's amazing. I know. See, time flies when you're having fun. Mm -hmm. I want to rapid fire two questions to you. Yeah. Whatever comes top of mind and we'll go from there. Okay. The first is what gets you worked up? Mm. I think you mean that in a negative way, I'm assuming, or a positive way. way you take it. Oh, okay. I see worked up as a shift. I think, well, I'll just tell you the first thing that comes to mind is I get worked up when I start to see someone stand in their value, um, and their own security and act out of it. So 
um, when I see someone start to live out of who they really want to claim themselves to be and using that as the foundation for relationships with other people, relationships with themselves like that. If I were to skew it negative, I would have said, I get worked up when I see someone abandoning themselves and not allowing themselves to be a human being, truly. I mean, so much of my work is helping people get in touch with like who they are and that they get to be a human too. And so I get fired up for helping them discover that. And then I yeah. get really excited when I see them start to step into that. I see worked up as it's taken primarily as a negative thing, but it can also be excitement. Totally. Right? And oh, yeah. I love, I love that shift. shift. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. The hidden meaning behind worked up. Mm-hmm. All right. I know. Question. It's a great name. See? Deeper than you think, huh? Mm-hmm. Take this question however you will. Okay. What do you know now? that you wish you knew back then? Mm. That you, well, I'll speak in the I form, that I had the power to speak over my identity and my sense of safety long before I realized. What do you mean by that? That I didn't have to take the messages that I got as a child or through adolescence and take them into adulthood that I, as a grown up, was able to choose um, what it is I said about myself in an overt way. And that comes back to the loved category and the safety category. Like I get to choose that. And that's not woo-woo. I know we talk about woo-woo a lot and we have different, you know, on the spectrum of woo-woo, we're, you know, in different spots, you and I, but it's real. I mean, it's real. You get to actually say, um, I'm worthy and, or I'm good enough. I am who I am and I'm good enough. And that changes who I fundamentally am in a moment. And I wish I knew that in my early twenties, I think I had to go to grad school and actually become a therapist before I realized that. So some people go to therapy. I went to grad school and became a therapist. Like that was my therapy. Well, it's effective because you have to live the concepts every day. Absolutely. And I, I do. Yeah. Megan, this has been incredible. I'm really grateful that you shared so much wisdom with me and with all the listeners. If anyone wants to get in touch with you or find you, how can they do that? Yeah. I think the easiest place is on Instagram. Um, my handle is Megan Nash coaching and it's Megan with an H. Awesome. Megan, thank you so much for being here. And as always, thank you to our listeners for joining us on another episode of Worked Up. Please make sure to check out future episodes and connect with us on Instagram, on LinkedIn, or at our website, www.jacklinbeckconsulting.com. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Worked Up. Please don't forget to follow, like, and write a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your shows. And please follow along with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting or on LinkedIn at Jacqueline Beck Consulting. See you next time.